All right, well, we'll go ahead and get started tonight. Um, we're going to be, uh, again, over, um, you know, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. We'll, we'll pick up there. And, um, uh, this is uh, going to be the, the last of the, the series where we've been talking about the spirits uh, of the Lord and uh, the seven ones that we see here in this, in this verse. Uh, we uh, start off talking about the fear of the Lord, and uh, we'll mention that frequently here because as we get to the end, it kind of becomes a bit apparent how uh, God has put these lists together, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time you've given us. I thank you again for those that are here this evening, and I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have uh, open hearts and be ready to receive what you have for us. I pray, Lord, you just be with my mind and my words that uh, everything that is done and said tonight would be pleasing and honoring unto you. That, Lord, it would uh, be your Holy Spirit that teaches us. I thank you again for preserving your word and giving it to us that we uh, can receive this instruction and receive this knowledge that you give uh, so freely. And again, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in uh, Isaiah chapter uh, 11, oh, I'm uh, sorry, I meant to say something before I got started here. I just wanted to give you an update. Uh, I had that procedure today and the test results came back and the test results came back good, meaning I do not have a leak. So that means that uh, talking with the surgeon... We'll have to uh, see where we can schedule uh, yet another surgery uh, to uh, take down the other uh, ostomy bag and uh, go from there. But uh, uh, praise the Lord, it was, uh, I, I'm not going to say that the test was easy and it was great and everything went well with the test. Uh, that was a, a challenge in, a, in, in its own right. Um, but uh, uh, the, the results came back uh, very, very positive, and I'm thankful for everyone that prayed. I'm thankful for um, just uh, people continuing to uh, keep uh, keep uh, that in mind. Um, but most of all, I'm just absolutely um, super thankful to the Lord that uh, things did go well and that it did heal right. So um, I just wanted to give you that quick update. But but regardless, let's uh, go back over to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And it says, uh, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And if you look at this list, and, and I, I made this uh, real quick uh, mention, and I'll, I'll kind of say it again. If you go through some of those lists in the Bible, uh, you've got a lot of them. Uh, Paul has a few lists um, uh, that uh, you go through talking about like end times or talking... <laughs> Excuse me, uh, talking about Philippians chapter four, um, or over there, uh, Peter has uh, his list too. Uh, those, uh, those lists have an importance behind them. And, uh, the way that, uh, that God orders them, uh, is not just haphazard. He's just not going along picking words out of the air and throwing them down on paper. Um, he does it for a reason. And, uh, you see that, you know, as an example with the fruit of the spirit, how each part of that fruit uh, builds, uh, but is necessary with all the other complements of that fruit. Uh, so the same thing is here with, uh, what we're referring to as the spirit of the Lord, the overall spirit. And, um, a, ending with that fear of the Lord, uh, we, we realize that the fear of the Lord is the, the very first thing that we start with. And, and we started off talking about that, uh, talking about the fear of the Lord and what that means. Because you go over to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, when we realize that, we see that this is almost like a descending order of how the Lord is giving a description. And I like that because, again, we're talking about uh, Jesus Christ, if you will, descending to this earth and uh, coming here. Um, and starting off with, you know, the understandings and the, the knowledge and all of these things building up to what we as Christians should desire and what we should see in Christ and see as an example and, if you will, um, do the same. So when we're talking about knowledge here, there's several things that we have to understand about knowledge. Um, in, in Psalm chapter 119, go ahead and turn there and take a look at verse uh, 66. Psalm chapter 119 and verse 66 
we find very clearly uh, who, who has this knowledge. In Psalm chapter uh, 119, verse 66, it says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Now, this is important because, again, we're finding where the knowledge comes from. And it comes from the commandments of God. It comes from the word of God, because that's what this whole chapter is about, including that judgment and knowledge. But the teaching part is done by the Lord. It's done by his Holy Spirit. And we realize that that becomes a very important part of what we as Christians need to be seeking after. Um, you know, very clearly in, in Proverbs chapter one, as you, or you go through and, and turn there, Proverbs chapter one, take a look at verse uh, four. Proverbs one, you know, Solomon is talking and he's giving some instruction uh, to, um, you know, his children throughout this, uh, to his son, uh, which we see Rehoboam failed miserably at heeding a lot of it. Um, and it talks about uh, these proverbs, but uh, one of the things that's supposed to uh, be done with these proverbs is that what they're supposed to do is in verse four to give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. Now, this is one of the most important things that I think that any young person can learn uh, is knowledge and discretion, because that's where it starts. When you're young, you're not going to have wisdom. It's just that you're just not going to have it. it. And the reason being is because there's just a lot of things that you need in order to get to that point. Uh, you need counsel. You need a lot of teaching, things of that nature. And I dare say that I, I wouldn't even say that I was, quote, unquote, a wise man. What makes a person wise is their adherence to the word of God. So when we see this here, a young man in these Proverbs that are here is to give that to them, is to give to that young man knowledge and discretion. That's why it becomes imperative that young people read Proverbs. Um, and, and again, look at it from the spiritual aspect. Because if they don't look at it from the spiritual aspect, they, <laughs> what they're going to find is they're going to find uh, foolishness. The opposite of knowledge is foolishness. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And, and, and you find that somebody, as he calls here, a simple person or a simpleton, as they're often called, those individuals, they lack that. They just lack knowledge. They just lack those, those, uh, um, the understanding. Uh, we've all run into somebody that has, that just doesn't have knowledge. Uh, there was one time talking with one person and, and, uh, this person had, uh, you know, a lot of degrees. They were very well accomplished academically, uh, very smart. And, uh, this person, uh, uh, didn't think that ducks could fly. Just, they thought that they kind of hopped around from pond to pond like chickens because chickens really can't fly unless you put them in a catapult. Then, well, then they fly. <laughs> but, um, but you know, that, that was the mentality. I'm like, you know, haven't you ever heard about ducks migrating and ducks flying and, you know, duck hunting and things like that? <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, it just never dawned and it took several years for her to, 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 to come to that. And she was openly sharing, uh, this person was openly sharing it and talking about it. And I was like, you know, we, we were kind of laughing because we all have those moments. We all have those kind of moments. Um, you know, again, sometimes people just don't have the knowledge of stuff and they don't know what's going on, but we find that knowledge is given by God, just like wisdom is given by God. It's taught. In Isaiah chapter 33 and in verse 6, Isaiah 33, 6, <clears throat> I, I like this passage when it talks about wisdom and knowledge. Isaiah chapter 33, 6, it says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord, is his treasure. And, and I think this is one of the most important things, that when we look at the life of Christ, he was stable. He was stable while he was here. Have you ever met an unstable person? We're, we, we, we're dealing with that right now in the United States of America and dare you say the world itself. There's so many things that are affecting people in a mental health issue, a mental health crisis or a mental health, uh, um, you know, um, problems, whatever it may be. There's so many things that are going on with that right now 
that, you know, people are, are, are trying to freak out uh, and, and do other things to, to try to control it. And they're going about it the wrong way. We have more than anything here in the United States. Uh, we have an abortion problem. That's obvious. Uh, that, that, that's one of the first things that we should get taken care of. You know, we have a morality issue, but part of that morality issue is the mentality and the mental issues that are going along with it. And then people start talking about the violence issue and, and well, it goes right back to the mental health conditions of these people. They're not thinking right. And you know what they need? They don't need another pill. They need God. They need Jesus. They need the Bible. You know, they need that working in their lives. They need the Holy Spirit. That, that changes people's mentality. That changes how people behave. If they're willing to receive that knowledge, if they're willing to receive the word of God. And that's why it becomes important when counsel is being given. But we find this here that, that, you know, here he is talking about, uh, this stability of, of, of thy times. You know, again, when we are seeking to have a stable lifestyle, because nobody really likes to be upended. Nobody really likes to have, uh, something roll around into their, uh, their life and, you know, it becomes an, an emotional crisis. Uh, what we, what, what we need is we need stability. And that comes from knowledge and wisdom. Now, specifically, when we're talking about this knowledge, we're talking about the knowledge of God. We're talking about the knowledge of Christ. Uh, go over to Colossians. You know, we talked about this when we were studying Colossians in Sunday school, Colossians chapter one. This is, this is the desire that Paul has, uh, for them. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one in, in here, in verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's the three right there, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And where is it being, where is it coming from? It's coming from the Lord. That's his desire. His desire is that they would be filled with that. But specifically, that knowledge is concerning his will. One of the reasons that a lot of people are unstable is because they don't know the will of God. They don't know what what God's will for their life is. And they just start off really simple. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The first thing that he, if you will, wills for your life is salvation. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to receive Christ. He wants you to have forgiveness of sins. He wants you to have those things. He wants you to have that relationship. He wants you to have eternal life because he's given it so freely. That's the first part of the will. And if, if, if people aren't willing to accept that part, you cannot expect to have any of the other promises or any of the other things that are in this book. And people struggle with that. People struggle with that. They're like, well, why isn't God, you know, doing stuff for me? And I'm like, well, have you trusted Christ as your savior? Well, no. I just, you know, I'm just, you know, kind of one of those people that says, well, I've always believed. Well, that doesn't cut it. We, we you know, we, we, we have to trust, you know, <coughs> excuse me, Christ as our Savior. We, we, we have to call upon his name. We have to, you know, as he talks about over there, confess and believe and the things that we find in Romans. I mean, all of that has to happen in Acts chapter 16. And people just kind of have this general understanding and, and, and sometimes they'll say, well, I've always believed in God. That's what they usually say. And, and if you're ever soul winning, a great way to, to respond to that is say, well, that's, that, that's great that you, you, you've always had that background, but what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Because it's only through him that they are going to have access to heaven and the eternal life. Jesus Christ makes that pretty clear when he made the statements, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, is what he says. So when we realize that that is, a, you know, the important part, you start asking him, well, how about Jesus? Well, you know, I, I think he was a good teacher, and, you know, I think he was a, you know, a, a decent man and stuff and things like that. And they showed the statistic one time where it said that, you know, close to 70% of the people that claim to be Christians believe that Jesus Christ sinned while he was here on earth. 
Well, if that's the case, then that 70-some percent has got a major issue with their salvation. Because Jesus Christ didn't sin, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to die on the cross for us. He had to be perfect. He had to be pure. He had to be sinless. There was no sin in him. While the sin of the world was placed on him, there was no sin in him, is what Scripture says. It says that he he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we, we, we understand that concept. And right there, we find that that's the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of who he is. This is why the Trinity becomes such an important doctrine. Because if we start talking about the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of God, then, then we realize that that includes who Jesus Christ is. If we don't know who Jesus Christ is, then we're not going to get to heaven. So we see this here. Take a look at verse 10 in the same chapter in Colossians. It says that you might work worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You have to increase in the knowledge of God. We find that very clear uh, in in uh, Christ's life, where it says that he, you know, he was increasing in wisdom and stature, and he was, you know, uh, you know, confounding priests at a young age, and and he just continued to grow, and he continued to grow, and he continued to grow. And that's what we as believers need to do. This is the desire that Paul had for the church here at Colossae, and he says, "I I want you to please the Lord. What you're doing." But the only way you're going to please the Lord is obviously, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But here we also find that if we're going to be fruitful and we're going to, excuse me, we're going to please him, we have to be fruitful and we have to be desiring to increase the knowledge. Desiring to increase the knowledge. You know, sometimes people get out of high school and they're like, oh, I don't have to learn anything ever again. Yeah. No, you always have to learn something. You always have to learn something. Every year I'm required to take uh, compliance um, classes to make sure that there's no fraud, waste, and abuse. We have to give definitions of fraud, waste, and abuse and how each one is different. And there's tests afterwards. It's required. You have to get 100% passing on the test. Otherwise, you have to retake it again, and you're only allowed to, I think, retake it twice and then it goes back to your manager, and your manager has to sit down with you and have a discussion. Uh, that's pretty scary. But they take compliance very serious. Why? Because they don't want people defrauding the government or defrauding customers or defrauding anybody. And I had to do that today. It was required. And I'm like, well, I better get it done in case I have to go back in the hospital or something. <laughs> you know, you never know. It is like, you know, better, better get it done while I got a chance. And so I got that done today. And and, you know, you just sit there and, and you, you know, I'm reviewing the material and I'm just wanting to see something new, but there really wasn't anything. But sometimes there is stuff that's new. Sometimes there are new laws that are put in place. There's new regulations from, uh, you know, um, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes there's new laws that are passed in, in the states where you're at and so on and so forth. But there's always stuff that we can learn. There's always things that we can learn. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and, and I, sometimes this is how people treat God. This is how they treat their salvation. Somebody gets a little scared, they get a little, you know, frightened by something that happens. Maybe there was a break-in just down the road. Maybe something happened to somebody that they, they knew. Uh, maybe they had a scary incident with somebody that was an unsavory character. And they go out and they say, well, I'm going to buy a firearm. And they go out and they buy themselves, you know, a little five-shot thirty-eight Special Revolver. And uh, they say, okay, well, now I'm protected. You've never shot that thing. You, you you might want to take it out to the range. Yeah. I guarantee you. You know, I, and I've I've sat there and I've seen this time and time again. And I used to really anger uh, gun dealers because I would be just walking through and I'd be looking at the stuff. And sure enough, this guy would bring his girlfriend in because she was getting scared about something, and he's trying to 
to, to sell her on the latest Glock, you know, that's got like 19 something rounds, barely fits in her hand. And, you know, he, he wants like the 40 or 45 caliber version and, and, you know, she can barely hold the thing up. She doesn't know. She can, doesn't even quite have enough strength to rack the slide or doesn't even know how to work the buttons on the side. SIGs are notorious because they got so many buttons on the side, but, you know, you, you just, you, 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 they sit there and they just, I can just see the, the, these, these ladies just kind of get this glazed look. And the, the, the clerk is with the guy and he's trying to sell this and, you know, cause he thinks it's cool too. And the woman's just kind of like, uh. And I just, you know, when the clerk moves away, I said, look, guys, you know, none of my business. You can tell me to leave if you want. But what you need to do is I said, you see that pistol right over there, that Ruger SP-101 that's all metal? You need to get her that so that the recoil doesn't kill her and that she knows how to use it. And look, it's one button. And I'll show it. I'll pick it up and I'll push the one button. The, slide, the cylinder falls out. And the, every single time, the ladies go, oh, I like that. <laughs> every single time. Because they don't have any knowledge. The, the, the husband or the boyfriend or the clerk, they may have that knowledge. But you know what happens? They try to force people into having that knowledge without teaching. And that's what I like about the Lord is he teaches us. And many times when people go out and buy that firearm and they have it in their, you know, drawer or their desk or wherever it may be, and they never use it when it comes time to use it, they don't have the knowledge. There was an evangelist one time and he said, you know, he, he, he kind of was putting it into a framework. He said, uh, so imagine, you know, when you have things happen in your life, you've got these big giant lockers that you walk up to. And it's just a fleet of lockers like you'd see in a gym or, you know, at a train station or a bus depot or something. And uh, you got all of these lockers. And he said, um, just imagine you know, something happens. Like all of a sudden you're at home and fire breaks out. Your mind goes to that locker and it says fire. And you open it up, you pull it out, and it, got, it has stuff in there. Okay, stop, drop, and roll. Um, pull, aim. Uh, squeeze and sweep side to side the past thing with fire extinguishers uh d- you know don't use water um on you know grease fires use baking soda and stuff you know all these things that they they teach you right and you've got that knowledge and it's in there he says but what's really bad is when you have something happen to you and you walk up to that locker and you open it up and there's nothing in there that's when the panic happens and he said, this is why it becomes important to fill those lockers, you know, in, in, in life itself with the spiritual things of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Because when we open it up and there's nothing in there, the tendency is to move into a sinful behavior. Let, let, let me give you an example. I want you to go over to, uh, let's see here. Let me find this verse. <clears throat> Um, go over to Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 19. I want you to see this here. Proverbs chapter 19. Did you ever think about that when Jesus Christ was facing crucifixion, betrayal, uh, all those things? What, What was his first response? Prayer. When he was uh, getting ready to uh, be taken captive and betrayed, uh, he went to the garden to do what? To pray. What do you find him doing at the Lord's Supper? And a very lengthy one at that. Pray. Interestingly enough, he really wasn't praying for himself. He was praying for others. But you, you, you see that response as something that, that is, you know, should be in those lockers. That should always be in the locker of everything that we have. Why? Pray without ceasing. So that, that, that should always be in the locker. Just like, you know, uh, uh, you know, anything that you would use in your household as common as anything. And I'm not trying to degrade the power of prayer or, do, you know, bring it down to, you know, a base thing like, you know, a, a napkin or silverware in a home. But I'm just saying it's something that should always be there. 
you know, the first thing that happens, we should be praying. We should be in prayer. Um, but in, in Proverbs uh, chapter 19, in, in, uh, <clears throat> in verse 1, it says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. In verse 2, though, it says, Also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. It is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. Notice how they're just, you know, connected right there. Somebody that's impatient, somebody that isn't waiting, isn't willing to wait for instruction, correction, knowledge, uh, isn't willing to wait for that, you know, w- w- what happens? They engage in sinful behavior. Because what do they start doing? They start doing things outside of faith. They start doing things uh, that, uh, um, you know, when they know to do good and they don't do it. What happens? Well, that's sin. We see that here he says, uh, the soul that be without knowledge, it is not good. Now look, if God says something is not good, that generally means that it is bad for you. I mean, you know, you ever have somebody, you know, uh, try to... You know, you, you go to get some food and you, you open the fridge, you go and pull it out and you're like, oh, I'm going to have this. And uh, another person in the home goes, oh, no, 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 that needs to be thrown away. That's not good. That's not good. Well, why is that? Because it's either turned sour or it's grown mold or something of that nature. And then, you know, it needs to be thrown in the garbage, thrown in the compost pile, whatever you do with it. Put it down the garbage disposal and listen to it, grind it up or whatever, you know. However you handle that, it needs to go away. But the same thing is true when we don't have knowledge in our life. So how can we be expected to do good works if we don't have knowledge? Because the end result is, is what we have is nothing good. So, so we run into this issue, and this is why uh, it becomes very important that we seek out that knowledge. Because, again, you know, back over in Proverbs chapter 1, you know, Solomon's talking and he says in verse 29, he says that uh, um, they, talking about some people that are wicked, uh, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And that lines up right there with Romans chapter 1. And turn there, I mean, again, Romans chapter 1 is is kind of the go-to when it comes to to knowledge um, and, and why the situations exist that happen today. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and uh, uh, I want to to back up to to verse 21 so that we can, well, let's go to verse 20, just because again, that's a good verse. It says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen. Now people look at it today and they go, well, it's not clear. Well, then there's a problem. They're clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. Every man, woman, and child that ever has walked the face of the earth is not is without excuse. And somebody can say, well, nobody came and told me. Well, the tree did. Remember Jesus Christ said that the rocks would cry out? You ever wonder what the rocks say? Pick up a rock and crack it open and you find a fossil inside? And you go, wow, that's cool. How did that happen? Well, a few thousand years ago, there was this big flood. (laughs) So, I mean, we have evidence, right? It says in verse 21, because that, when they knew God, they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful big problem with malcontentment, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. You ever wonder why some people fall away from the faith? Why people, you know, stop going to church? Why people no longer read their Bible? Uh, Here's one of the reasons. They were unthankful and next thing you know is their mind is gone. Their mind is gone. It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Jump down here a little bit uh, further to verse 28. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
Now, that word convenient isn't always what we think it means. There, there's a lot to be said about that word convenient. Maybe one day I'll do a word study on that. But um, let's, let's just say that when we're talking about that here, we're talking about some sinful behavior. We're talking about sinful behavior. So when God starts talking about foolish talking isn't convenient, uh, he's saying there's sin with it. You've got to be careful. But here he makes it very clear. He says that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So would God say, fine, go ahead. You go ahead and you do that. You, you go on that direction. And he gives them over to a reprobate mind because that's what they chose. They chose that over God. And this is when they knew God, they just didn't want him in their mind. And you wonder why we have a mental health crisis. The reason we have a mental health crisis is because God is not up there. There is no knowledge of God. There is no knowledge of his will. So people are walking around like zombies. They're always talking about the zombie apocalypse. The zombie apocalypse is the people that walk around with absolutely no purpose in their life uh, because they don't understand what God's purpose for their life is. You ever see a person like that? They're fumbling through life. They're trying to, quote-unquote, find themselves. You don't need to find yourself. You need to find Jesus. You find Jesus, and then you'll find yourself. Because you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that you need a Savior. And you're going to see He is your all in all. And you're going to find out that He is a great and mighty God. And you're going to find out that He is, you know, wonderful and a counselor. All of these things that we, you know, we, we talk about, about who Jesus Christ is. And it puts us in a position of where we then have to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in desperate need of Christ. And that's where we find ourselves. That's where we find ourselves. But as we, you know, look at this passage, you know, obviously where they're not liking to retain God in their knowledge, they're trying to erase. You know what they want? They're basically saying right now, they're saying, we don't want anything of God being brought up in anything in society. As long as you worship at home and what you do in your own home is fine. But don't bring it out in public. It's kind of an interesting turn because that used to be said for a whole different segment of people, didn't it? Yeah. Switched. It switched. Well, why is that? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. They didn't want God. They didn't want to retain him. And, and, and that, that, that becomes a problem when we start looking at this. Um, you know, turn it over to... Um, um, let's go over to um, Proverbs again. Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs um, chapter 2, you know, he, um, here's Solomon, just, you know, to start off in verse 1, it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. Crying after knowledge. How desperate are you to have that? Are you willing to shed a tear for it? Willing to weep? You think about that for a minute, and he says, If thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Find the knowledge of God. And I think that's one of the most important things that we, you know, as Christians can can demonstrate. Now, we have to be careful with knowledge. Because if you go over to 1 first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 13, it says, knowledge puffeth up. Yeah. The knowledge puffeth up. Turn there, uh, just because it's a, it's a great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter three, 13. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> You know, here he is trying to get the the church at Corinth to kind of get their 
get their act together. And one of the main reasons that they're having issues with their act is just selfish, prideful people. But uh, you, you see here that he, he makes it very clear that it, it puffs up. It puffs up. Um, you know, uh, if you um, jump over to, um, uh, oh, let's see here. I'm not sure where I want to start first here. But uh, just back up here to, to, to verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and, not ch- and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. It doesn't matter about how much you know. It matters on what you show. Not trying to rhyme, but that's just the way it came out. Sorry. And he says, uh, you know, as he as he talks about it in verse four, he says, "Charity suffereth long, is kind; charity envieth not; charity vaunteth not as itself; is not puffed up." Now, some people try to misuse charity and try to say, "Look at how much I gave to so on and so forth." Well, that's not charity. That's something else. God makes it very clear here why He used the word charity above all things. Because it's not the same thing as love. It's, it's a very different attitude of the heart. It's a disposition. It's, it's, it's an important thing that we as believers must always demonstrate. And he, he, he goes down in verse 5. He says, It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. And, and, and he, he, he gets very, very clear with this. And he says that, you know, these things that we find are important as, as far as charity and knowledge. When, when, when knowledge is there, but nobody is willing to demonstrate the knowledge of Jesus Christ, nobody's willing to tell somebody about the Savior, nobody's willing to do something like that, well, it's shame. He even says that to them where he says uh, that... Uh, um, that there's uh, individuals that are out there that uh, have not the knowledge of God. And he says, I speak this to your shame. Why? Because they weren't demonstrating it. They weren't showing it. They weren't showing anything about it. I, I misspoke, and I meant to, to say chapter 8 is where it talks about uh, knowledge puffeth up, but turning over to knowledge, or excuse me, uh, chapter 8 of First Corinthians in verse 1, it says, Now as touching of things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if you will, that's one of the central themes of this whole book. What are you doing with the other people that are in your life? This this is the neighborly book, if you will. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, all your mind, those verses. And love your neighbor as yourself. And here he goes and he says, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. You have to demonstrate charity. And he says, edification, he says, that's what you're supposed to excel at. He says that over in verse, uh, or chapter 14. But here he's making it very clear where he starts bringing up this issue of charity. And he's saying, look, uh, charity is what edifies a person. So if you're going to excel at charity, uh, excel at edifying, you have to excel at charity. You have to have genuine concern for someone else. You have to have a genuine desire for that person. So much so that you would be willing to sacrifice something that's important to you. That's what charity is. Knowledge, sometimes we don't have to sacrifice much for knowledge. You know, in this day and age, you can find anything you want to do on YouTube, right? You can, you can figure out how to disassemble a TH404 automatic transmission and put it back together, right? If you wanted to. But that doesn't do anything if you don't do anything with that knowledge. And this is where, you know, as Christians, we have to, you know, uh, um, really get to this point of where we understand that knowledge is important, but knowledge is for the importance of using. Using. So when we fear God 
and then we begin to get some knowledge of who he is, that stuff has to be communicated. When's the last time you had a conversation with somebody just talking about how great God is and what God has done for you? Answered prayer. Protection, safety. What you got from the Bible. Stuff like that. Those are things we're talking about the knowledge of God and who he is. Now, now I, I, I want us to, to, to go over to um, uh, Romans chapter 3 and, and just kind of show an importance here. What, what were the two trees that were in the Garden of Eden? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't it be great if nobody knew how to do anything evil? They just, I mean, it was not in their capacity to even think that way. Could you imagine that? And this world would be really different. It would be really different. But, no, somebody took of the fruit. And now there's the knowledge of good and evil. You can turn on any news channel and you can find evil. You can bring up the internet news and you can find evil. You can walk down the road and find evil. You can find evil anywhere on this planet. There is no place that does not have evil. Why? Because man's there. Man spreads evil like worse, worse than, worse than Corona, you know, virus. Worse than COVID-19, worse than Ebola, worse than any of those things, right? Sin is is a destructive disease. But what we find here in in, in um, Romans chapter three, and in verse, uh, um, just go, to go down here, uh, just a little bit, um, talking about these these people that. Uh, are not righteous. In verse 10, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. You know, he's quoting several passages of scripture. I have Psalm chapter 14, Psalm 53. Um, and he says, they're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The throat is an open sepulcher, and with their tongues they have used deceit. Their poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And here's the reason why. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Because they don't know who he is. And as we get down here a little bit further, he says, Now we know that that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. There's a reason why those laws exist in the scripture. You know what it is? To show that everybody's guilty. Somebody has violated a law somewhere along the way. Somebody made that willing choice, as he talks about later on, where he says, sin revived and I died. Next thing happens is, what did he say? Sin slew him. He makes it very, very clear. But take a look at what the law does. In verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, uh, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know why people don't want to read the Old Testament? Because it's convicting. It's convicting. You know, people just want to talk about the love of God. Why was the love of God even expressed in the first place? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Well, why did he send him? To die on a cross. To shed his blood for your sin and my sin. For the sins of the world. I mean, it becomes very clear. So you know what? We've got to know what sin is. Proverbs 6 talks about seven, seven nasty ones. And I guarantee you, you look at those seven nasty ones that are there in in Proverbs chapter 6, and it starts off with the proud look. Okay, well, there you go. There's a lot. I mean, that covers just about everybody. That covers just about everybody. 
I mean, even going all the way to the very end where he says, sowing discord among the brethren. Those are all things he hates are an abomination. Those are things he can't stand. He doesn't want it in our life. So what do we have to do? Well, we now have a knowledge of what sin is. We have a knowledge of what, what, what happened. We, need, we go back over there and we see where Israel sinned over and over and over and over again, right? Well, what was some of the things they sinned with? Well, unthankfulness. Man, that was a big one for them, wasn't it? Yeah. Man, not only was it pride, but it was just that unthankful spirit. Yeah. Murmuring, groaning, and grumbling, and complaining. And I mean, here they are. They've been, they've been saved from the bondage of Egypt. And you look at that and you can apply that to a Christian's life where they're just not thankful for what they have. Mm-hmm. When is the last time you thanked God for your salvation? And just flat out said, you know, I, I don't deserve this, but yet you gave it to me. I, 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 I deserved hell because of the sin that I've done. But what does God do? God extends his mercy and his grace. His long suffering, his tender kindness towards us forgives us. I mean, praise God for that, right? We start thinking about that. When's the last time we just praised God for his goodness? You, you, you go over to the last few chapters of the book of Psalms, and there's the repeating phrase, praise ye the Lord. 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 I mean, it's just like constant. Well, you know, I read the, 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 those verses, and I read those chapters, and, and it just makes me sit there and think about, you know, I've got a lot to praise God for. And it's generally the reason that people don't praise God and people don't give him thanks and are unthankful is because they simply have not sat down and thought and meditated and say, well, what do I really know about God and what he's done for me? Do, do I really, truly know his mercy? Do I know his grace the way I'm supposed to? And sometimes we take our salvation for granted. And sometimes people who trust Christ as their Savior, and then they don't grow in the knowledge of the Lord, and it's just like that 38 special that's put in the drawer and nobody ever touches. And then when the floods come and the rains come, and the winds come, they don't know how, they don't know what to do. They open the locker, and it's empty. It's empty. So we begin to realize that this is what God's desire for us is, is to grow in the knowledge of Christ, who he is. Once I take a look at two passages, and let's go over to Second Peter. We'll close with this, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, and again here is another desire that we see Peter communicating, just like Paul did, and uh, we see here in verse eight. Uh, excuse me, not verse eight. Um, might help if I was in Second Peter. It is verse eight. There we go. Uh, verse eight. It says, uh, "For if these things be in you and abound." They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what are those things? That one of those lists. In verse 5, where he's talking about those precious promises up in verse 4, he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and patience godliness, and the godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness charity. There it is again. You know what charity leads to, or excuse me, what knowledge leads to? It leads right to charity. If it's used correctly. If it's used correctly. He says, for if these things be in you and abound. Well, I got some of that. Are they abounding? Is it more than you can handle? That they make you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Christ should be fruitful. The more we know about him, the more fruit we're going to bear. 
Well, what's that fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. That fruit doesn't benefit us. That fruit is meant to be distributed. We find in in chapter 3 and in uh, verse 18, as he closes the book, he starts off talking about being being, uh, fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But in verse 18, he says, but grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to him, be glory both now and forever. Amen. I mean, if we're going to start thinking about his glory and we're going to think about it doing it now and forever, then there requires an action, and that action is to grow, to grow in Christ, to grow in his knowledge, to grow and learn more about him every single day. And this is what the Lord wants us to realize. We start talking about this spirit. That's Jesus Christ. Who he is, his, his, if you will, his character, his attributes that we find over there in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. That's what he demonstrates. And all of that leads to some of the greatest charitable work that has ever been done. And that was on the cross. And that was in the resurrection. The sacrifice. Coming here. Limiting himself. Being in this flesh. Allowing temptations. All of those things that we go through. That he went through himself. Yet without sin. Also, we could have eternal life with him. And we should want to grow in that every single day. These things uh, that we see with the Spirit of the Lord, whether it's might and counsel and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and fear of the Lord, all of these things tied together really personify who Jesus Christ is. And for us, it sets the example of what we should be doing in our life. He's given us the Word of God that we can learn all of that, and we can have these things, and we can grow in them. And that's the expectation, is to do that. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just study your word and study these spirits out and see exactly, Lord, what we're supposed to do with them and, Lord, how we're supposed to grow in you. I pray, Lord, that we would take all of these things that we've learned over this course and that, Lord, we would use them and apply them in our lives. That, Lord, we would be charitable, that we would be pleasing unto you, that we would be fruitful for you, and that we bring you glory in everything that we say and do. Pray you take us home safely tonight, and these things I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.